Welcome to the Thea Institute's first episode of the Cybersecurity Forum. This week's guest will be Barack Engel, author of Why CISOs Fail and currently Chief Geek at Immune. Doug Shannon, international automation leader and robotics process automation expert at PSI. Wade Billings, DevOps and InfoSec specialist, podcaster and culture change advocate. Dr. Lisa Palmer, an AI business strategist. And Todd Jacobs, CEO at CodeNome, an information security and technology expert. And of course, myself, Jim Desmond, Chief Security Officer at Assurian and Lifelong Security Professional. Well, first of all, welcome everybody to uh, Thea Institute's first roundtable. Uh, real excited to be here, and we all are. Uh, but we're not going to waste any time on um, pleasantries. Are we going to do introductions here? Are introductions appropriate for this? You know, I think um, that's actually part of our uh, uh, background material. So I think uh, if people don't already know who we are, and by golly, if you're watching this, you should, uh, then um, uh, they can go to the uh, web pages, YouTube channels, and other social media and learn all about us. Outstanding. So we're here to discuss today uh, in this roundtable is uh, how should companies um, address routine phishing attacks that might be enhanced by generative AI uh, or such as chat GPT? And is that a real concern? Should we be concerned about that? Um, we're going to hit the why of that question. We're going to we're going to tip this off in a little bit different manner to ask Lisa if she can handle the why we should be concerned about this question, or if should we should we be concerned? Well, I think that everyone is concerned whether they should be or not. So I hear about I hear about security issues uh, from pretty much every client that I talk to. There is so much media coverage about generative AI every day. Um, the sky is falling. If you listen to the media, we are on the we are on the brink of Armageddon. Um, we're all lucky to just be getting by one more day. So, of course, that creates a lot of anxiety in people. And so, the first thing I would like to say is, this is not all new territory. These are, we're, we're seeing things at perhaps a different scale. We're seeing things at, uh, that are, are being introduced by less sophisticated attackers using generative AI tools. I mean, there are some, some core differences in what's happening, but overall, I think that the angst that's being created in the market, this is my opinion, is overblown largely due to the additional coverage that it's getting uh, in the media. And our friends in big tech are not helping because they're, you know, kind of pumping some energy into that on a daily basis in their efforts to build a moat around their existing tech. So I, I expect this anxiety to continue, and I'm glad that we're going to have some open dialogue about it today. I, I think I, I know, I really... Go oh, ahead, Todd. Go ahead. Oh, thanks, Jim. Um, so I, I just wanted to follow up on what what uh, uh, Lisa said. This this reminds me of the early days of of the internet when script kiddies were yes. a thing, mm, right? Yeah. Yes, and 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 the idea that 
that these script kiddies were, were suddenly going to become uber hackers was was the big scare back then, right? Everybody was going to become the next Kevin Mitnick. Uh, and uh, uh, who, who, by the way, has gone on to have a fairly successful career, so good for him. But like <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day... Um, well, that, one, that... One, might, one might argue that being a hacker has allowed him to have a successful career, right? Just like the guy yeah. that had the movie, the Catch Me If You Can guy, who was really just a small sign check fraudster and then... Yeah. Built up his story and became a very high-paid consultant. Anyway, go ahead. I, I'm sorry to jump in. But. No, I I just wanted to, to round out that thought and say I think that that the idea that Chat GPT is going to turn every malware attack into uh, uh you know the equivalent of a successful war game uh uh you know referring back to the the uh uh, the movie with Matthew Broderick, right? Uh, is, is just ridiculous. And, yeah. and uh, I'll, so I'll let... You're talking about a commoditization, right? Which I think what you're yes. saying is that it used to be the purview of a chain-smoking, you know, Linux guy, Unix guy sitting in a basement somewhere. And now it's been put in the hands of people who are who have different reasons to either monetize or gain things of value and right. may not have that specific skill set. So it's shifted the capability right or whichever way you want to call it to make it more available is sure. that yeah well, I, go ahead yeah I, I mean i think i think now everyone has the ability to be a nigerian prince right like that's <laughs> that's what chat gpt is giving them uh uh but you know <laughs> well so i, so I actually I, I want to say a couple of things about that because you know everybody talked chat gpt generated very high you know we all forget the llm part and lisa please right. jump in and correct me if i'm wrong large language model ultimately all this does is that you know i'm going to simplify to the point where everybody's going to be upset with me but ultimately it's a word guesser right i mean yeah. it is it is a statistical model that says the next word in line is going to be this word, and if right. it's and it's a winner takes all system. So if the statistical model says it's fifty one forty nine, then fifty one becomes a hundred percent. A little bit like U.S. politics, U.S. politics, right? Right. Um, and <laughs> which is which is unfortunate, but at the end of the day, you know the it's interesting. I always look at the intersection of human activities, right? And you look about about the, where is most of the general phishing coming out of? Well, Eastern Europe. I mean, we know the corporates, right? Right. And one of the challenges, one of the ways you identify phishing and spam. Right. Is looking at the badly constructed language in the phishing email. Well, yeah. guess what? A good generative AI can fix that. It can allow anybody to write a really nice well you know well written in english email that seems more believable so that's really maybe the the incremental advancement here yes yeah, so it's, it's going to break tools that use simple regexes and right. other things to identify spam or, or or things like that and i i get that right but but at the end of the day typical phishing is all about getting somebody to click on a link or or download a piece of malware or divulge some sensitive data. Um, I mean, there are other types of phishing that we'll talk about, you know, in the future, but but that kind of spam phishing, for lack of a better term for generic stuff, yeah, it more of it's going to get past the spam filters, but I, I don't think it really changes um, the, the modality of the problem. Uh, although to be fair, uh, like if we want to 
go down that road in the future, Google taking over the .zip domain is probably a, a bigger problem, right? Uh, because that's much more likely for somebody to say, oh, it's a, it's a zip file, <laughs> as opposed to some, some, you know, Nigerian URL. Well, and yes, uh, you also have the benefit. I mean, ultimately, you can use it in all capabilities, right? There's nothing prohibits anybody from writing a piece of software that uses a generative AI to click on all the links and right. analyze them and figure out if they're spam or not, right? Um, or phishing or not. It's that I'm sure it's coming. Maybe there is a tool out there that I'm not aware of, but I'm sure somebody's writing one of the one of those things already. So eh, it's, it's 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 mostly in the realm of uh, I think technologists like us maybe get excited about it, but for most people, the impact is minimal. So if we look at this in the construct of the people, process, and technology triangle, um, I think it has impacted all three, right? I think it breaks the technology, as we've already established. I think it breaks the processes that we've put in place that have worked up until now, or at least bends them, maybe not breaks them. Uh, the people aspect, uh, you know, how long have we vilified AI in popular culture, right? I mean, Skynet, right? I mean, it's, it is the downfall of, of humankind. And so I think there's some pent up um, concern there. I mean, I tried to explain GPT to my 84 year old father the other day, and his first response was, how long before they, you know, it takes over? And that was a serious question from him. And my dad's not a stupid person. Um, so it's, I think there's a lot the of every day, it is every day. I mean, and those got, are the, that's the perception that we're allowing people to, to get. Well, you've got people oh, because it sells news, right? Fear right. sells news. Fear yeah. also sells security products, right? It's the most powerful yes. leverage that security marketers have is fear. So of course, fear. this is the thing in the news. Right. And it doesn't help that people are, you know, that uh, executives are standing before Congress telling them to put regulation in place. Right, that also adds to it. So uh, I think somebody said this, you know, GPT has now put AI, taken it out of the back office where it used to be, right, into a, a product, right, and unleashed it onto an unsuspecting populace. Uh, or I should say, the populace doesn't know what to do with it. Sort of like- Let's not uh, forget the financial right? motivations of some of these companies calling for regulation, right? It's, it's the companies that already have AI and, and, and want to control the data. Um, and, and I think that fear, uncertainty, and doubt is certainly not new. Uh, right. uh, I mean, Microsoft, uh, you know, came into uh, under the spotlight in the 90s for the embrace and extend, right? Where, hmm. where they were just trying to make everybody afraid of uh, everything and, and anything they weren't doing that about, they were saying, well, we're going to step into that space and then we're going to crush the competition and push them out of the market. Um, and I see a lot of that going on, especially with, with open AI and, and, and what they're doing with data, uh, uh, not necessarily with their models or their services, but, but with the actual data. I, I, I want to take this slightly different. What are we using that fear pivot point what are we afraid of with generative AI and its enhancement to phishing? So for a long time, at least from an edu educational perspective, when we're trying to educate our employees, for a long time, we've given them, you know, uh, hints around, look for bad mm -hmm. grammar, 
right? Look for misspellings. Look for, you know, uh, just an email that stands out to you, right? Uh, that an email that the CEO would never write to me because, you know, they know how to spell, they know how to how to construct a sentence. Um, and, so better, you know, better curated content, right? The content exactly. is much so, more believable than original. Yeah. So when well, I started, the inter- I would say the interactions too, right? So if you're getting into a conversation with one of these folks, sometimes people will recognize it on the second or third response, right? Um, you know, the incremental step that is came before that is better translators, right? Mm. The better mm. Google Translate became, uh, the more believable the conversation would be. What I think the generative AI adds to this, to the to the better translator com- com- uh, component, is maintaining context to a conversation, yes, which the context. translators can't do, right? You know, so that's really the the next step here is the addition of context for the, yeah. uh, for the. I also think that the modality of delivery is a significant issue. So what I mean is the quality of deep fakes from an audio and vi- and video perspective that yep. are able to be generated with AI by people with very little actual skill. Yeah. Uh, that is concerning to me. Uh, combine that with the proliferation of your average person's uh, facial characteristics, your actual voice being recorded, just like us being available. Mm-hmm. You know, you if, if they need three seconds of audio to perfectly clone your voice, uh, it's going to be very difficult to find somebody in the U.S. that doesn't have three seconds of video about them someplace on a social channel at this point. <laughs> right. So that's the kind of thing that to me is concerning, because if we take the deep fake potential, which we all know has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. again, it's not new. What we're seeing is the ability for somebody that's less skilled right. to create high quality fakes um, and arguably to do it at a larger scale than they could do it in the past. So if we take that and we combine it with what you're talking about from a social engineering perspective, that all of those cues that we have been training people forever to look for, um, if, if they don't have that anymore, then that does break the people component of what we're talking about with the comfortability that that we have been able to create to use social and social engineering techniques to ward off these kinds of attacks. So if we combine that with the ability to automate these kinds, this quality of deep fake, that is concerning to me. I I, I would say that that is more true when we're dealing with other types of attacks like phishing attacks and social engineering attacks. And I I don't want to discount what you're saying, Lisa, because I think you're absolutely right. But I think that when it comes to generic phishing, right? Hey, you know, where people are trying to get you to install a piece of malware or get your credentials. Off of your credits. Right. Um, So, yeah, so the text around it might get through the spam filters or might be more believable. But at the end of the day, the key elements and the key controls that already exist out there in most of our organizations already address those things, right? Um, uh, You know, they scan attachments, they flag things as spam if they have suspiciously encoded links. Um, You know, and 
I, I kind of want to maybe shift the conversation a little bit to, to, to defense in depth, because I think a lot of times people focus on the problem, not the solution, right? And, and we have more tools in our toolbox than just training users to identify malformed emails and, and URLs, right? right. Um, Brock, you have, you have. I want to add one more thing though before sure. we move off. I think it's really important to understand that generative AI has the power to personalize at scale. To personalize at scale. So when we talk about generic attacks in the way that we have traditionally thought about a generic attack, it will not be long until there are no there are no. Uh, generic attacks anymore because it's going to be so easy to personalize at scale. That's the power that generative AI brings to the table that is, right. you know, that's the thing that worries me about it. And, and, and Doug, I, Doug I agree that that, I'm sorry, uh, go, go ahead, ahead Doug. Yeah, oh, so that's something that we're seeing on the automation side, right? So when you when you have the 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 general the stuff that we've been dealing with for time and time again and it's been processed out and we know what those categories are. We know how to categorize those different information and those different phishing attacks. The issue that we're seeing is that, again, like GPT and some of these LLM models, they're able to produce different variables that now cannot be categorized. And or there's multiple categories of the same thing. So not only are you phishing the users, you're phishing the HR people that are onboarding these. We're now seeing that people, just like uh, Lisa was talking about in regards to where the the uh, the voice you know people are actually applying for jobs and, and and responding with GPT and some of these these voice models that they can answer the questions very emphatically but they're not hiring a person they're hiring literally a a, a bad actor and so that's some of the stuff that we're trying to deal with now and and really there's no answer it's just a very shifting plane of existence that we have to kind of fight but but hasn't that been true like anyway like I know it, you know in the consulting world. Um, there's, there's, there's a problem where people are like, Hey, you know, we won't even submit you for a job unless you've got a LinkedIn or a photo ID or something. Now, again, generative AI and, 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 and deep fakes and stuff like that are, are going to make that more problematic too. But, but at the end of the day, I, I think the, the class of problem has been there all along. And I think that, well, yes, it lowers the, the 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 barrier to entry for some of this. Like, I I, I guess I want to shift this to saying, well, go ahead, go ahead. Jim. You're saying it's it's the arms race that the, the tomahawk missile is the same as the arrow fired by an English longbowman in 1100, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it fires. They'll, they'll both kill you. It'll still kill you, right? The thing is, is that we've had to change our defenses and adapt because of that increase in technology. One of the things I saw that Doug, Doug wrote and I wanted to call out was that the multiple modalities, which is we're talking about context, right? Creating that, that stronger context to, to get a, a higher positive return on your phishing attempt with the deep fakes. Can you imagine getting over that initial level of skepticism if it came with a voicemail? Right. Automated. So I use a deep fake of Jim Desmond and I. I send that to 15 people in accounts payable, followed up with an email at the same time. Hey, did you listen to my voicemail yet? Send me that 500 bucks to my Nigerian ACH and life will be great. I, I think yeah, I mean, I'm not uh, calling this an existential yeah. threat, but I think it's I think it's important. Well, 
and I, I want to I want to add that uh, we've it's kind of funny that it's all coming to a head at the same time because we've also been really doubling down as a society on remote interactions, online mm -hmm. notaries, right? You can now generate using a deepfake me holding my driver's license, right? Wow. With right and and verify a notarized transaction like to buy a house or to right something like that, and the online notary would know would have no way to know that it's not actually me providing that uh, that picture or that video or what it might be. And this is all combined together with the fact that we've all, especially with the pandemic, we've really detached from each other societally, right? right? We're not, the face-to-face -face elements are, are kind of gone. Um, you know, yes, there used to be con men back in the day, right? When everything was face-to-face, -face, but that's a lot harder to execute. Yeah, and, it doesn't work and, at scale, like Lisa said. Exactly, and the scaling, what exactly the point I was trying to tie back to that Lisa said earlier, it's the scaling, it's making yeah. it, and that's the tomahawk versus the arrow. Sure, both will kill you, but the tomahawk will also kill the 50 people next to you very easily. <laughs> right. Well, it, you know, but, but I mean, some of these problems were solved 20, 30 years ago, right? Like, like the web of trust, right? And, and I think... Everything that's old is new again in some ways, and 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 had some I bell think, bottoms to sell you. Yeah, Sorry. but 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 I guess what we're talking about when we talk about deep fakes and things like that, again, all of these are reliant on a couple of key misapplications of basic security principles, right? Like like single channel auth authentication and authorization, uh, uh, a lack of um, you know, sidebands and, and, you know, it, it embedded authentications in communications. Um, uh, right. I mean, again, without getting too technical, because not all of our audience is deeply technical, um, there are technical solutions and a lot of them aren't even IT solutions, they're process solutions. Right. Um, you know, like one of the, one of the biggest ones that I see most of our customers fail with, um, they fail audits for this all the time, is, is separation of duties, right? Why, you know, why does somebody who doesn't need access to sensitive data have access to sensitive data? If you don't have it, you can't give it away no matter how convincing the email is. Right. Um, of, course, of course, the attacker relies on the fact it's not the, the lack of security applications of controls. We know what controls should be like. It's the reliance Appearance. on some basic human behavioral um, habits or, or repeated behaviors, right? So you're absolutely right. The best solution for, for data control is making sure that only the people that we all know that's least privileged and you're 100%, but people don't do that. Even very smart people don't do that. Even people that know better not don't do that. And what generative AI is capable of now doing at scale is allowing that to be exploited in, in a way is, that perhaps- Isn't that just an argument for saying, let's go back to basics? I mean- But I, has, has that ever worked, my friend? Ever in the history <laughs> of humanity? Well, I, I think I think prior to uh, this this particular, call it the, the, the AI age, right? I don't think people were as concerned about it. They, they were not as- maybe as socially aware of it, maybe they didn't consider it an existential threat. I think, I think you know, most of us who work in security, raise your hand if, if working in security, people think that you're a profit center. 
that you're a profit center? I, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I know you do, Barack. And, 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 I've proven it many times, so. <laughs> and, and No, and, and it can be, right? But, but right. you'll, like, re But the reception is not one of driving revenue, understood. Right, exactly. And, and so, and, and so the idea that people have ever really taken security seriously enough to properly apply the governance and 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 processes around this i think maybe that's something that can and should change and I, i'd like to see that frame shift happen right i i want to shift the conversation to saying the, the sky isn't falling that you you know it it's it's still up where it's always been. The difference is we learned how to build houses and put roofs over our heads and carry umbrellas when it rains. You know, there, there was an article, and if, if I can think of where I read it, but it talked about how, regardless of at least for the time being, with with generative AI and LLMs, that human judgment is still going to be required. Right? They they referenced the the attorney who cited fictional cases from an AI hallucination. Right. Right. And, and he never checked his work and he submitted it and went before a court and he got all, all sorts of trouble. It's the the thing is, is that the our tendency to build shortcuts in our brains, right? The, the cognitive bias, the conscious bias, unconscious bias, whatever you want to call it. We want to go faster. We start to trust how I think you're saying that it's the same thing. We still have to get our users to be, for lack of a better term, distrustful or critical thinking, but it's going to get harder. Right? It is. We've got to overcome those existing trust biases. But, so but there's another point in there for, for automation side, right? So in that, when we're building in human in loop activities, what we're seeing is that there is a, a high chance because of the confidence that GPT and some of these LLMs have that it can take on the role of that human in a loop and actually answer that maybe in a not so good way. Right. I mean, it's already in a way being done on the positive side with all the AI tools that do help desk, that do what have you, right? I mean, we trust them. So we're training the population to interact with AI in a positive way and thereby enabling interactions that are negative, right? So I, I, there's, no, so there's no technology solution to this. I'm sorry, Todd, I disagree with you. Now, I don't, um, I don't, I don't disagree with the concept that we. It probably behooves folks to do a better job with the technology solutions that they have already been paying for and not using, uh, or implementing a better control map. These are all good recommendations. I think it goes to the point we're ultimately all agreeing on here, which is uh, maybe it's time to kind of get our behinds in gear and do a little bit more than we did before. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're not going to shift human behavior, and that is exactly the you know the extra danger that this provides, which is the 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 ability to target human behavior as opposed to target machine behavior. Uh, that's I, I, I mostly agree with you, Barack. Uh, like seventy five percent, right? But like, Whoa. let's take a hold on, hold on, big <laughs> moment. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Write it down. <laughs> it will never 78, be 78. It will never oh. be <laughs> Let me ask you, so, I mean, I'm going to target this at you because I, I like I want I, the idea that there's no technical solutions out there that are effective. I want to I want to argue that like like think about DLP, uh, uh, you know, data loss prevention in general. Right. So 
let's say that a company is performing some separation of duties, but, but again, phishing is primarily, and I, wa I wanna keep this focused on our core topic, phishing, it's an, the initial transaction is essentially email. Mm -hmm. We have DLP solutions out there for email. And so to, to, to some extent, I want to avoid this notion that it has to be an AI versus AI arms race in order to, 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 to effectively combat something that's been around for 25 years. Um, you know, and yes, is, is, is it going to get better? Sure. But we have tools right now that can say, you know what, um, we can monitor outgoing traffic. And if we see somebody putting in credentials, we can stop them. We know what credentials at our organization look like. Um, what about multi-factor authentication? It's like, sure, here's my password. Well, uh, you know, unless they have your hard token as well, so what, right? At, at the end of the day, I, I just feel like saying there's no technology solution is, it's true because humans can bypass, right? Especially people yeah. who are, who, who've got elevated privileges. And I know Jim's laughing at this. So he, you know, he's, he's seen this. I, I've but, seen amazing stupid user tricks to get around the very controls that existed to protect them. Yeah, wasn't, yeah. wasn't there uh, something recently in the news about somebody uh, who was in a, a privileged engineering role who gave away the keys to the kingdom? Uh, I, I, I can't remember which. It was at it was Samsung. I, okay. Um, that's oh, right. And they loaded it into an LLM, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a product development issue. Um, they loaded IP directly into public uh, LLM. So, so your point is, people, time, time. people will find ways around the controls, right? Is yes. what you're saying. It, it, sure. Twenty years yeah. phishing has been effective. I mean, this is a this is an attack vector that fundamentally hasn't really changed, right? We put in SPF and DKIM and things like that. We thought it'd get better. And then Office 365 put in their phishing rules. We thought it'd get better. You know, it, it keeps doing this level up. And I think AI, yeah. as you're saying, is just the next level up. You know, Gen AI is just the next level up and, and our controls will adjust. But I think the, the base attack vector is still going to be effective. Otherwise, they'd abandon it. Well, you know, and, to me, we've got to roll back to what Wade said early on, which is people process technology. This triad has existed forever, and this problem isn't going to be solved outside of that triad any more than any security issue has been solved outside of it in the past. So, you know, to me, we have to make sure that we take that that kind of triple approach to that. You're, you're right, Todd, there are existing tools that will help us to combat generative AI issues, but we can't do it just with the tech. We've got to have Absolutely. the people, Absolutely. we got to have the people and process elements too. I mean, this so, is kind of old school IT. So yeah. how do we pull, so how do we pull the people in process in, in line? And I guess that's the question, right? I mean, I think we all agree that people are ultimately the weakest link. So then what, how can we change the conversation so that people, people in process become part of the solution? Okay, uh, ho hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You targeted this at me initially, so, you know, I'm-, I'm uh, I did, you know, I'm, fair I'm enough. Point, and I'm gonna be a little bit Jewish here and then, you know, answer a question with a question, but but the, the, the 
here's the thing. People are the weakest link. People are also the strongest link, right? I yes. mean, let, let's be careful in what, what we're saying and how we're characterizing problems. You don't, we don't solve, we don't live in, in a world of technology that's solved with technology. I know it's hard for folks in our industry to understand this, but the vast majority of humanity has zero interest in technology at all, except what it does for them. We all thought that the modern generation of kids would be all technology savants. They barely know how to change passwords. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost remarkable, but it makes perfect sense. At the same time, I observe my teenage daughter's handling of false information on TikTok. And it is at generations ahead of my capability of understanding it. Right. And I'm pretty savvy. Right. They have developed these mechanisms because they lived with that world. And I think this will continue to happen with this new world. It's just that humans you know, we take time to adapt, but we all kind of do. We have a really interesting fuzzy computer in the in the back of our heads that helps us in these things. So humans are both the weakest link and the and the and the strongest link. The the sort of question I'm gonna toss back at you, do you have the patience? Because I, I think that's the thing. It's it's the fear, you know, the, the definition of panic is not when the you're locked in the theater and it's on fire, right? It's when you're yeah. locked in the theater, somebody shouts fire, and then there's one window open. That's when panic happens, right? Everybody's running to that window, trying to jump out of it before, you know, before they die. But once that exit closes, right, basic human behavior, it's amazing. Everybody suddenly calms down and starts problem solving instead of stampeding over each other's heads. So but that, um, takes, that takes knowledge, right? It takes perception and knowledge to, to gain that. Well, it's a, we know this from, from behavioral studies, right? People with no understanding of anything at all, once that last door closes and everybody realizes it, everybody's able to come down and do problem solving. It's when, that la when there's still the hope of escape that everybody is panicking. And the same is the same with, with fear. That's why you know, using fear as a marketing uh, technique is so powerful um, and why the security industry is able to sell such enormous amounts of solutions to people where the average utilization rate, I'm only saying this empirically from my experience with many, many, many companies is perhaps 5%, right? I mean, that's, I think the average utilization rate of security tools in the industry. Um, it's, it's utilizing that fear, that panic, which is always time restricted. And so I'm kind of tossing that question back at you. Are you willing to have a little bit of patience? Yeah. So let me ask you, you know, we've got our hopefully a large constituency of of security and technology professionals uh, participating. But, you know, if you're asked by a board of directors or by anybody else, what would you all recommend they do differently? Right. Their CEO is going, this is not only an existential threat if we don't use generative AI in our business, but I also think the bad guys are going to use it. We're all going to die, right? Using your analogy, the movie theater's on fire and the window's closing. What what would your recommend, what would you say to that CEO or to that board of directors? What would your action items be? I, I, I would fall back on the Pareto principle and say, you know, there's an 80% solution, uh, you know, and, and it's not perfect, but we already have them. And so, I would just try and say it's not an existential threat. It's just an evolution of stuff that's already been there. And here's the tool chest we've got. And here's the tool chest we've, we know about. We just haven't gotten around to doing it. And, you know, increase my budget next year and we'll make it happen. <laughs> 
I, I, I would start with like, you know, calm down. Can we get another round of coffees? Right. I mean, it's just, it, it mostly start there, right? Just yeah. chill, it's, right? It's, it's the don't okay. panic. Right. Don't, don't panic. Don't panic. Where's right. my hitchhiker's guide? Let me show you the back cover. Exactly. Right? Yeah, um, it, was, it was Tal Day a couple of days ago, by the way. I want to add one thing about giving advice at the executive level. Block and tackling wise, people process tech, same old advice we've been giving for a long time. The one thing that I would add is that we have to double down on training employees about what is intellectual property and what is private information. So those organizations who are actively embracing generative AI are benefiting from it. They are getting mm -hmm. a competitive advantage in the market. They are getting productivity advantages, which are, which are giving them financial advantages. There are many things that are happening that are positive for organizations that are embracing this tech. However, it is a significant risk if their employees do not understand what is intellectual property and what is private information, and they know when it's safe to put that information into different tools. Yeah. So if I were to give one piece of advice to, a, to an executive, I would tell them to double down on explaining what is intellectual property, what is private data, and make sure that they know not to put that information into public facing LLMs, plain and simple. Right. I mean, it goes back to, to Todd's get back to basics, right? Data classification, data handling. Right, those where your, where your assets, right? Yeah, where are your assets? And I think up until now, we've been able to talk about those things, and people go, yeah, 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 right. I mean, because <laughs> the 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 bad things have not happened at a regular occurrence, right? The the but now in that arms race metaphor, the enemy just got you know a Tomahawk missile, and we're still using. <laughs> uh, not quite arrows, but you know, muskets. Yep. Um, we're in this 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 yeah, period of, of we're in this period of exposure and risk, and that period of exposure risk until we all adapt to it. Um, you know, we've got to do some things differently. And I I appreciate what Lisa said, going back and really driving home what is and what is not intellectual property, what is and what is not appropriate to put in an email or put in a chat uh, a chat box or whatever i would also right. go one step further and that is let's let's really do the trust and verify right if i get an email from my ceo that looks really really good my next step should be pick up the phone and call the ceo yeah. i mean right it's it's we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take that extra step there's got to yep. be an extra step there well, and then AI Wade is going to do the same thing. No, I, I want to actually build on that and say, you know, and, and what Todd said and what Lisa said, if I can kind of bring it all together, we can also, um, you know, those talk about human behaviors at scale, right? We have uh, general delusions that we all follow, like the idea that there is a concept of PII when pretty much everybody's private information is already available online if you just know where to look, right? Anybody who thinks that the social security number is private yeah, never um, for any individual, right? It's that's nonsense. So, you know, if we were honest as security professionals, we, are, we, we would be exploring ways 
not to protect the social security number as much, but to actually separate. Remember the AAA model, right? Authentication, authorization, accounting, separating authentication from authorization, because what really matters for in terms of performing transactions is authorization, not authentication. And it is possible to split those uh, if you think about it creatively. Uh, but Sorry. good luck changing the social security system in the United States that seem to think that this is a private piece of information that is unique to individuals, both of which are false assumptions, right? So we have a lot of, you know, also what I would say, like, you know, there's a, there's a thing I heard once that if you want to switch directions, like 180 degrees on, a, on one of these massive oil tankers, I don't know if it's true or not. I read it somewhere. It could be totally fake, but it can take two weeks to do it. Like, you literally have to plan two weeks in advance in order to do your, like, your rotation, which is insane, right? But when you think about the mass of these ships, perhaps that makes sense, um, uh, even if it's only a day. And and so it's it's kind of there's all these things that are built in our society that we assume also to be true and are you know kind of going to crash again you know at the the waves of reality here. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I just want to tack on one more thing because I think everybody who's been talking about this since since Lisa brought up the 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 uh, uh, um, proprietary information issue, um, I think. Again, I'm just pointing out that we have, for better or for worse, we have a legal framework today uh, around stuff like that. We all have dealt with data processing agreements. Um, a particularly egregious example right now is, uh, and I'm calling them out publicly routinely about this, is GitHub, which if yeah. you are an enterprise, um, they will respect your intellectual property, at least theoretically. Um, if you are an individual, they're basically telling you that your your license doesn't matter and it goes into their data, which they are treating as proprietary. So again, this is one of those things where we have the tools um, and I think we, we should be thinking about it, um, but I think that we're going to have to think more broadly about it and and maybe address some of the some of the elephants in the room about, data processing agreements about what Barack is talking about, about what is personally identifiable information or protected health information, um, what, you know, what, what data ownership is in this notion of intellectual property. And this is, this is part of what AI is bringing to the forefront. And again, we have an existing framework, whether or not that framework needs to adapt, I think is a maybe grist for the mill in the future. But but even today, we do have some of these tools at our disposal. I just think we need to apply them. And and Jim, I cut you off. So, Oh, Doug, go uh, ahead. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, so so I was thinking, so so listen to everything and then kind of maybe try to tie it all together here to kind of broaden in a way, like starting back to basics, now that we're in an even, even playing field and kind of what we're seeing, you know, with the whole Tomahawk missile kind of like talk, the, the the issue is going back to basics is almost like talking about BPM, like going back to business process management. How do you change the behavior of your users, of your employees? You first need to understand what they're doing. And, and this is why in the automation space, we have process mining, task mining. You know, what are our users doing? How are they doing it? Once it's defined, then we can actually take action or we can help to change the culture of, of that or say, this is the right way to do it. Because when you come into a team and you say, what, are, what is your process for this one thing? And you have five members in that team and they do it five different ways. That's, that's where the nebulous and that's where the variance comes in to where 
bad actors can take advantage of that. And so how do you avoid it? You, you really, you name it and you say, this is the process. This is, this is the trust, but verify, this is the way to go. And that's how we can really start asserting that and, and really start from scratch and saying the thing that, that employees and, and users and, and humans have always been bad at, let's document what we do so that we know what we do and we can ensure that we're doing it the right way every time, even when there's uh, you know, skill gaps, even when there's upskilling issues or tribal knowledge that is lost by turnover, if that is documented and maintained and championed, we can have some wins. Uh, Jim, I, I, I know, I think you got cut off. What, what were you going to say? No, it was germane to the moment. I was going to tell you, I have a friend who used to work on the old shuttle program and it was a, the change control life cycle was two years, right? Wow. So the, similar to your two weeks of turning an ore carrier, it was two years if you wanted to change the, how a bit was flipped in, in code and the old space shuttle. It, you know, getting back to this, though, the, I think there, what I'm hearing, and I want to see if we're, we're driving consensus here, is that our, our control sets, and when I say control sets, are controls that mitigate the risk of Fishing with even with the addition of of some of this generative AI stuff are very much the same. They will adapt as we recognize in our triangle people process and technology as we see which one is deficient in making sure that we're authenticating right. And I don't mean system authentication, but verifying our communication is real. Right today, I look and I I hover over a URL or I look for bad English. We may have to up that little judgment piece, but there isn't anything massive or generational that we're missing from a control perspective. We just need to adjust. We got to get past this panic, right? We somebody just screamed fire and we all got to calm them down. I bleeped that out by the way. Calm down and uh and and assess and make sure what we're responding to is real. Am I am I close? Yeah. No, I I think you're right on target with that. I I think the controls exist. Um uh, and again, they're admittedly imperfect, just as everything in security is imperfect, but but they do exist. And I think I think part of the conversation is shifting the conversation away from the house is falling to what tools do we already have at our disposal that we haven't deployed yet? And you know, it the Tomahawk missile, let's let's go back to that metaphor. It's right, we've got Iron Dome. It's like, but you know, we nobody buys it because hey, that's expensive and right. And how many people are actually firing tomahawk missiles? Well, it, if it starts to become an existential threat, then you would you know you go and you, you do the the thing. You know, it's interesting, and I'm going to um, harken back to what Lisa said. Put the the uh, the asterisks on it. That generative AI is a competitive advantage. And the bad guys love a good, easy to use competitive advantage. So the asterisks I, I would volunteer on this and see if you all agree is that change is coming. We don't know what it is yet, but it's coming. And as you know, security leaders or security practitioners and technologists, you got to be ready, you know, clear away some of the FUD and start looking for what that change is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I, like to hear it from Doug directly, but I know he and I have had conversations about saying, you know, making it easy for users to use. I mean, it it, it does address that that sort of people and culture dimension. And, and Doug, do you have anything yeah. to add to that? 
Sure. Yeah. Ease, ease of use is, is key in regards to, you know, culture isn't something that, that the leadership brings in. Like everybody looks to leadership to drive the business, to drive the culture of the company. Um, they're driving like the, the KPIs and the KRs and whatnot. But when it comes down to cultural change in your employees and your people that are working for you, that comes from the people. And so if you can give them the tools, if you can give them the knowledge and make them the experts that they are, you can make that cultural change happen that technology change, that regard to how to handle things differently, that can happen with ease of use, with training, with upskilling. I'd almost want to just follow on to that and say, you know, we always talk in security about tone at the top, right? And if we, if we have people telling us AI is an existential threat or we're terrified of this, then, then I think the tone at the top has to be so what are we going to do about it? Do we care enough to invest in yeah. solving the problems in whatever ways we need to address the problems and, and to measure those outcomes the same way we do, you know, our annual recurring revenue? And, and, and I think that's, that's part of the conversation that has to take place uh, for this sea change uh, to, to, to really get, get traction. Would, would anybody disagree with that? You know, Todd, um, I just want to build on that a little bit. I think it's really important for executives to not delude themselves that when they tell their employees not to use generative AI, they're not using it. (laughs) Amen. So so I just want to get really clear that you may tell people that they all have multiple computers at home. And if they're not using their work device to do it, they just pop up their personal device and they do it anyway. I just had this conversation with somebody today. Like I had a client in the situation today. So it is happening. Don't don't bury your head in the sand and just assume that because you banned it on your network that nobody's going to do it. That that's why these pieces of the process pieces and the people pieces are so critical because you are not necessarily going to have physical control of the devices that your employees are choosing to engage with. Now, Granted, it makes it harder for them to, they're going to have to hand enter data and, and go to a, a, you know, go to a lot more effort to go around what you have in mind, but it is going to happen. And it goes back to Doug's point about ease of use. Generative AI is so powerful. It's so easy to use. It's such a productivity change. Uh, it, it is a sea change to Todd's point. So I think that we have to, embrace that as a reality. Your employees may not be doing it yet, but they will be soon because the word is spreading. People are understanding how much difference it makes in their daily lives and their ability to be more effective. Uh, so anyway, I just want to be clear about that. Just because you put a an edict out or you create a policy that says not to do this, or even if you're blocking these tools on your particular controlled devices, that doesn't mean your employees aren't going to do it anyway. So please, please still go down the path to talk to do the people and the process elements. Absolutely. I, I, in fact, um, I want to build on that even further, right? I mean, one of the, my most common recommendations to any organization that asks me questions about dealing with end users, like don't trust anybody, assume everybody's gin pop, right? You know, everybody's there to 
do all the best. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen how remarkably technology savant like a typical employee becomes when they want to share pictures of their puppies that are in a restricted cloud drive, right? I mean, they will find a way to bypass your security controls. Yep. They route um, around it. Yeah, they do. Right? They just, they'll just... Find, they'll find, they will find it. Now, this is the same people that cannot you know, learn a single awareness lesson, right? The most effective control, right? You know, awareness and training rarely works. Uh, but no, it's a matter, question of human motivation, uh, you know, which, you know, going back to control sets, right? I mean, there's a class of technologies. I like to call them invisible technologies. Those are the ones that tend to be the most effective for end users, right? There's the, they're the ones that don't indicate that there's something happening in the background, but they, they modify behaviors. All the technologies that are not invisible tend to fail because you can never rely on people's actions, no matter how many times you tell them, if it's not something that they care about, hate to tell you people, even if they're employee, your employee, and even if you have a wonderful mission and greatest company culture, if they're not personally, it's not something that matters to them personally, you know, there's no, you can never expect uh, uh, any level of reliability in terms of, of people's actions. So I think it all comes together, it's just, not panicking is a, is a really good start. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think we've largely reached consensus on, on this in, in a general sense. I mean, I'd love to hear maybe, you know, if everybody has a, a, a it might be redundant, but maybe if everybody has a 30 second pitch on, you know, you know, why, why this is a good idea and why companies should should follow our amazingly good advice. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think that would be uh, that would be helpful, right? Like, hey, why why should they listen to our advice? I mean, I might I might kick it off uh, and just say um, because it's 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 low friction. Um, uh, you know, the advice that we're that we're putting out there is essentially do more of what you're already doing and apply some of the things that are already easily accessible and don't reinvent the wheel. And I think that's, that, that's my, you know, that's my one or two sentence takeaway. Um, I, I don't know how everybody else is ordered on the screen, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe Jim, you, you just yeah, ask mine people. Mine will be even shorter, but mine is, you know, risk is based on evidence. Right. When you start to see evidence of increased risk, then you should take action. But, you know, don't start installing extra airbags in your car that doesn't move. Right. All right. I'll I get like pick. Barack, why don't you go next? I think I gave mine already. Don't panic. <laughs> I like that. All right, Lisa, you got one. I like that, too. I like the don't panic. Uh, and I'm I'm a big proponent of awareness. We're in a completely new realm of capability with generative AI from an end user's perspective. From an end user's perspective, this feels very different. Mm -hmm. And our, our first tool is always education, awareness. Doug. Yeah, I almost say, you know, classic business, you know, do do like a SWOT analysis. Like what what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are, what is the company like what are what is your company good at? Like can can you see all the different areas? Are you looking in the rearview mirror? Are you using your side mirrors? Like what what does that look like? How do how do you navigate it? And then even reach out to some of the freebie 
agencies out there that'll say like, Hey, we'll test your stuff and we'll come in and get a look at it. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. Like, you know, this goes back to that trust, but verify, but, but, you know, take a look at what you got and what you're good at. All right. And Wade, you're batting cleanup. Oh, it's the pressure of the last word, right? So <laughs> I guess uh, my parting wisdom would be uh, do not forget that your people are your greatest security asset and possibly your greatest security liability as well. But in this case, I think they're your your greatest security asset because as has already mentioned, um, for right now, right, until it gets much, much better, uh, we cannot take the human element out of the solution, right? Because that is what's going to, I think, be the differentiator there. Um, we can still, we can still spot a fraud. Um, we just have to look a little bit deeper now. Outstanding. Terrific. Well, I, I, I guess I'll just uh, bring this home then and say, um, first of all, I want to thank all the panelists um, uh, for attending our roundtable today um, and contributing to, uh, you know, the output from the Thea Institute. And I want to thank the audience for sitting through our conversation and and uh, hopefully taking away something useful that uh, uh, solves your problems. And uh, really, I just want to encourage people to to reach out and interact with us on on social media and wherever you find us. We um, we take that feedback very seriously. We want to make sure that we're addressing those existential questions that everybody's dealing with. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all the next time. Thanks, everybody.